0: Good afternoon, everyone. I am so happy to be with you another Thursday, another month for another edition of the Faith Talks podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer R. Farmer. The purpose of Faith Talks, as you should know by now, is to promote engagement among members of United Women in Faith and also to offer spiritual growth content to help us along our respective journeys. I'm very, very excited about the space that we've created together. As you know, it's one of the few spaces for women of faith uh, to really learn about uh, our walk, social justice, and to meet some of the amazing people who are uh, doing this work along with us. Uh, If you've not already subscribed or liked the podcast, please do so. And in that way, you'll be notified whenever we have a new edition. Those of you who are joining right now are participating in a live recording of the Faith Talks podcast. You are most likely members of United Women in Faith, um, possibly members of the United Methodist Church. I want you to know that we never take your participation for granted. We are so so happy that um, that you're here. For everyone else, um, I want you to know that we are happy that you are here as well. If you ever want to join uh, a live recording of the Faith Talks podcast, please go to the United Women in Faith website and put your email in and then that way you'll be notified. I'm super excited about today's topic. I'm excited about today's topic because um, I feel like there's so much happening in the world and coming out of a pandemic, I say that cautiously, understanding that many people are still impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, but um, as we enter this new phase, many of us are thinking about what it means to worship. Uh, This is not a new question, it's something that we've been grappling with for a couple years now. And so my guest today is Rebecca Simon Peters, and she wrote a book called Forging a New Path. Forging a New Path is a groundbreaking guidebook for the post-pandemic church. As the prophet Ezekiel surveyed a valley of dry bones, God asked him, can these bones live? His prophetic vision hinted at the lifelessness of worship hundreds of years ago. I am sure that out of everyone on this call, you probably have some areas in your life where you're asking, can these bones live? It's possible that you may be asking this question of your own faith uh, congregation. But in Rebecca's book, she highlights that in the 21st century, this question echoed through a time in a new way. Can this church live again? And so uh, Rebecca believes that that it can. And where we're situated now, heading into the fall of 2022, we've seen so much happening in our world and also in our churches. We may be asking, can these bones live again? So I'm very excited to speak with Rebecca about her book, Forging a New Path. Um, I'm going to ask Rebecca if she'll put in the chat feature where we can access the book. Um, I also want to tell you a little bit about Rebecca's background, just so you have a fuller appreciation of who you'll be listening to today. Rebecca is passionate about reconnecting spiritual leaders with their God-given powers to co-create miracles with the divine. Her award-winning group coaching program, Creating a Culture of Renewal, has energized church leaders across the country to reclaim their calling and to grow their ministries. Known for teaching leaders how to bring out the best in the people who frustrate them the most, her work transforms church leaders and the congregations they serve. Now, this is not Rebecca's first book. She has written several. She's the author of not only Forging a New Path, but also Dream Like Jesus, The Jew Named Jesus, Green Church, Green Church Leader Guide, and Seven Simple Steps to Green Your Church. A dynamic speaker, Rebecca has engaged and challenged audiences all across the world. When she's not on the road, you can find her on her hiking trail with her dog, Bo, or Concocting in the Kitchen with her wonderful husband, Jerry Gonzalez. Rebecca, thank you so much for being a part of the Faith Talks podcast.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. What a pleasure to be here and to be with you and your wonderful audience. I appreciate it.
0: So I know we've been talking about this for a very long time. I'm very happy that we're finally able to connect in this way.
1: Me too. Yeah, it's really great.
0: So I have to ask you, of all the things that you could have focused on, tell us um, why why this was necessary now.
1: Yeah, what a great question. You know, at the beginning, right before the pandemic started it was 2019. Remember 2019? It, it wasn't great in a lot of ways. And I had been, uh, I was pastor for 12 and a half years. And then I've been in extension ministry for 15 years, coaching and consulting and doing leadership development work. And I with a bevy of other people had been really working with churches to help them move forward. Right? Like look outward, um, all the stuff your, your, your audience knows about, you know, how do we get connected to our communities? How do we do social justice work? How do we move beyond our own self-interest and really serve the people we're here to serve? something amazing happened at the beginning of the pandemic all of a sudden the church pivoted and the pandemic helped churches do what they had been unable to do for decades right get online be more connected stop waiting and seeing stop waiting for somebody else to tell you what to do i mean there were these amazing um pivots that the church was making and i was really interested to see if these um sort of short-term pivots would turn into long-term culture shifts. That's what I was really interested in seeing because I saw the church doing what it had been unable to do before, which I thought was amazing. So I wanted to explore and see, can we turn these short-term pivots into long-term culture shifts? Can the church actually make the change long-term that it needs to make? So that's what I was really interested when I started to write this book
0: and i know that whenever a person is writing a book you may start out with one idea and even as you're even if you remain with that idea you learn so much are there any findings that you uncovered during your research or things that you didn't expect that you'd like yes. to share with us today
1: <laughs> yes i had no idea that the uh, bubonic plague was going to figure so heavily into what we could learn today post or you know mid um, COVID-19 pandemic. So I started to do the research. Um, and I thought, what could we discover? Like, what have we already been through as a church? What could we discover about how churches have um, come through pandemics in the past? Of course, there was the influenza uh, pandemic, you know, earlier in the, in the 20th century, but I went all the way back to the bubonic plague and by golly, if I didn't find out amazing parallels between what they were going through and what we're going through. And because that pandemic lasted the better part of 300 years, can you imagine wearing a mask for 300 years? But because that, that pandemic lasted so long, it was almost like you could step back and look in slow motion Of how a society shifted, how an economy shifted, and how the church shifted, and how people shifted during that time. So I began to take that and to realize, my gosh, we've almost got like a guidebook here about how things can change and maybe how they should change as a result of the pandemic. So, yeah, that was a big surprise for me. And I I learned so many interesting things. I learned that before there was a quarantine, which comes from the Latin, uh, excuse me, from the Italian quarantino, there was a. Uh, what was called a Trentino, which was 30 days. They used to put people. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. 30 days of isolation. That seemed like long enough. Well, people began to think, you know, this pandemic thing, this bubonic plague, this is like from God. This is like something from God. We can't figure it out. Therefore, let's put it in a Lenten context. And if we can be people of prayer and sacrifice and lamentation Maybe God will go a little easier on us. So they went from 30 days in isolation to quarantino, uh, 40 days quarantine, which comes from 40 related to Lent. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: Fascinating. So, um, Rebecca, a question that I have for you is when the pandemic initially started, I felt like many things came to a halt, at least for those of us who had some level of privilege. I say privilege because people who were essential workers, they were still forced to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who felt like it came to, to some, to, the world came to somewhat of a halt, we were forced to get creative mm-hmm. and to imagine new ways of doing things. Yes. I also think that um, it was an opportunity to be grateful for um, the people in our lives. Mm-hmm. I do worry that as we've kind of turned this corner, that um, it's easy to, to lose sight of, of the good. Um, Are there any are there any practices that you uncover churches embracing that you you hope they don't turn away from?
1: Mm, Boy, what a great question. And I totally got what you're saying about gratitude in my own neighborhood at 8 p.m you know, in Wyoming, howls went up for frontline workers. (laughs) At first, I thought, what is that sound out there? And then I realized, oh, the world has come to Wyoming. And so, yeah, there was this tremendous sense of gratitude. And I think one of the things that we really discovered, Jennifer, is how much we need each other, how much we care about each other, what touch means, you know, just to be able to touch people, to be in the same room with people. That was something we took for granted. And Boy, but not during the pandemic. We couldn't afford to. So one of the things, you know, I mean, so much like how the world slowed down, how wildlife began to appear, how the skies cleared, how you could hear birds, you know, in places you hadn't heard birds in decades, maybe centuries, that whole slowing down of the world. And in fact, discovering what is essential, not just essential workers, but like, what is essential? I think we began to discover that spirituality is essential. Spirituality is essential. Our contact with other human beings is essential. God is essential. There are a number of studies conducted by Google and others um, that are search engine related about just how much prayer was sought out online? People wanted to pray. They wanted to p- pray for the end of the pandemic. They wanted to pray for other people. Uh, something else that happened is a uh, crowdfunding whoo shot through the roof. People were crowdfunding, you know, causes and people. And people were hungry and experiencing injustice. I mean, the generosity that poured through the through the. Uh, you know, through the metaverse, if you will, it was astonishing and churches got in on that. Churches began to have online prayer sessions. In my program, Creating a Culture of Renewal, which you referenced, I have the distinct pleasure of um, companioning uh, church leaders clergy and laity that are on the journey of creating and bringing renewal to their settings. And so we had a whole cadre of people, whole tribe of people that were in creating a culture of renewal when the pandemic hit, they were not able to carry out the exact visions that they had formulated before the pandemic started, but boy, they had a good handle on what they could do given the current restraints that were coming down. So one of our guys, um, um, his vision was, um, turning, uh, you and me into we, like creating community. So he sat at a picnic table outside his church and held passersby and, you know, created sort of this space where people could come and talk while social distancing. And there was just this tremendous generosity of spirit and of connecting with people yeah. in whatever way. One of our other pastors, they took the outside of the church and they just put clothing all over the outside of it and food. And like whoever needed it could come by and get clothing and get food. There was just this, this outward expression even as we were sort of huddled in our homes um of creativity and generosity and also do we really need all those meetings you know uh,
0: we,
1: you know yeah. what do we really need and what don't we need so those yeah. are the things I hope churches hang on to is that discerning spirit that generosity that willingness to go to any lengths and really remembering what's essential about what we do in What's you know bad? when I when I think about that
0: period, you know, in addition to a global health crisis that I feel surfaced um, underlying structural inequities, there was also the murder of uh, of George Floyd, and you know, there were a number of people. I think it was one of the largest protest movements in us. history. Um, and so I just feel like we were confronted with a lie, and we were doing our best to navigate it. As you walked with these church leaders and as you as you wrote your book, um, and and went through that period, and then you know we are in a different point now. What advice can you offer, not just to churches, but many of the the people on this call? They may be leading Bible studies, they may be leading mission use at some point, they may play a leadership role. What advice can you give us um, about either worship or just being together or leading post pandemic in the context of the church?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you're so right about the um, the the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all that came to our attention. It was the largest um, movement, uh, I think, in U.S. history. I think you're exactly right on that. And it was a stunning time to be alive, and a stunning time to be in the streets, and a stunning time to see just how many people were in agreement. And let's you know, let's make a difference. Let's make a change. Um, I think peak moments like that are hard. To keep alive, but there's always um, not a residual, but there's always something that comes through it that we can continue to hang on to and build momentum with. And I think that thing now is the importance of our relationships with each other, the importance of spirituality, and the importance of paying attention to your neighbors. Um, no, we're not in the streets protesting social injustice right now and economic injustice, but we are doing things that continue that, and we can do things that continue that that command within us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to remember who our neighbors are. We let's not, now that we're out in the world, let's not shrink down our idea of who our neighbor is again. Let's keep that big and let's keep that broad. So one of the things I make a really strong case for this in the book, Jennifer, is that it's really time to embrace spirituality. Um, even more than just getting people back to church or back to Bible study. Cause already in 2019, they numbers were low, right? If we remember 2019, it already wasn't great. And for many churches, they've experienced a reduction in worship attendance or Bible study attendance, 20%, 30%, 50%. So what can we learn? Um, I think we can learn that 2019 itself wasn't the touchstone. What can we do going forward? And I really think that it's about embracing spirituality. When we embrace our own connection with God, when we embrace communal connection with God, we can actually see that not only do I matter as a spiritual being, not only do you matter as a spiritual being, but we matter, the world matters. And I really think it's back to love back to love. I used to think that was so hokey. Oh, come on, love. You know, we got to do something here people, right? Um, but the pandemic really showed me what a powerful force love is and, you know, we've just passed International Peace Day. I know so many people are so mad about, you know, the lack of peace in the world. I don't think you can bring peace from a place of just mad. I think we have to have love in our hearts. I think we have to focus in on spirituality so that we can do the long-term work of social justice, of connecting with people, but it's gotta come from a place of love. And
0: I, I love that. You know, um, when, when the pandemic began, I was in, I was in the Washington DC area and then I relocated to Ohio as many of our audience members know. And you all may also know that when I came to Ohio, I was looking for a church and I found an AME church that had a weekly Bible study. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, my mortgage lender told me about the weekly Bible study because it was her church. Mm -hmm. And I've been joining that weekly Bible study. It's every Wednesday night. It's a women's Bible study. I've been joining it for two years. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I, I have since found a separate church, but I'm still a part of this Bible study. And I told the ladies earlier this week, I said, listen, all these past two years, I've just been afraid that you are going to realize I'm not a member of your church and you're just going to kick me out. (laughs) (laughs) But they, they have embraced me and others. And I think what that spoke to is just flexibility Mm. and a willingness to embrace and to love um, the stranger, you know, per se. Mm. The other thing that I think about Rebecca is, is you're right. I do sense and I'm sure our audience senses this too—that people are very, very ang- angry, and there's a lot to be angry about. I'm with which you. Which is why I think um, the story of Jesus is so profound and is so needed, because I know that for me, I just don't know how we lean on ourselves and get through this environment. You know, I just think that there's so much happening, there's so much strife, and I don't know—I don't know where people go. Um, I don't know where people go for hope without the church. Yeah.
1: You know, I write a lot in the book about polarization um, because the church is absolutely at the front line of polarization. Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Is the pandemic real? Is it not real? Should we get vaccinated? Is it a hoax? Um, uh, you know, not to mention George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. The insurrection, I mean, all of that, boom, hits the church. And church leaders like your audience, pastors, denominational executives, they gotta figure out what to say. And how do you, how do you deal with stuff like this when you can't even agree on basic facts? When the fact itself is thrown into questions just because somebody says it's not true. You know, when did that ever happen before? (laughs) It's been infuriating. Can I just say that? Infuriating environment to operate in. It's easy to get mad. I'm totally with you. There's a lot to be like truly mad about, but- I'm just a student of physics. And I know when there's this kind of force, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And we've seen that. And there's got to be some other way. Otherwise it's just this. And who's got the strongest push at any one time. So love has to be a part of it. Now, there's a there's you know there's a lot of discussion about the separation of church and state. Should religion be involved with politics? One of the things I've said for a long time and say in this book too is that the church has given up its right to talk about ethics. Now I'm not saying, I'm not say saying more, we, say more about that. Say more. Yes, about I will. That. So so here's where the church can really have power. When we talk about ethics, we don't have to talk about politics. We can but we may just be into this. And for those who can't see me, I'm just you know two hands pressing against each other, right? Equal and opposite force and reaction. But when we talk about ethics, we're now out of party platforms. We're not talking about party platforms and we're not talking about, you know that individual is gonna save the world or no, that individual is gonna save. We're not talking about that. We're talking about our faith and we're talking about how does our faith shape our understanding of the world And what advances human kindness? What advances beloved community? What advances a world that works for everybody? That's ethics. And instead, we've gotten sucked up into politics. Hey, if you're a Christian, you ought to be on this side. No, you ought to be on this side. And then there we are fighting each other, Christians fighting each other over political platforms, instead of us taking into our own hands, using our minds and our hearts and our souls, all that God has given us to discover and to engage in those tough, tough conversations, tougher than politics, ethics. What is the ethical response here. Forget about how it plays out in politics. Now, that takes a certain kind of leader to keep that out of the political realm and always bring it back to ethics because there will be people who say, oh, you're just playing politics. Well, actually, let me share with you the scriptures. Let me share with you the verses. Let me share with you the resources our particular denominations uh, have given us to think about these ethical issues. So, yes, ethics is what I'm talking about. That is one way to begin to move beyond polarization. Because look, Dems, Republicans, we're not, we're not getting beyond that right now. You know, yeah. fake news, true news, we're not getting beyond that right now. But can we talk about ethics? That's one way through.
0: Um, thank you so much for for that. And, and what I hear you saying is, you know, that we have to be so careful of the language that we use and we have to be intentional about how we talk about things. So do you have any other recommendations for things that the church can do in this environment or that you would
1: recommend from from your research? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole big thing that I would, there's two things I want to say. One, when it comes to reducing polarization, I think it's really important to not only embrace the golden rule, but to actually expand ourselves to include the platinum rule. Golden rule is treat people how you'd like to be treated. The platinum rule takes it one step further and says, discover how the other person wants to be treated and treat them that way too. Now we get into that with language, right? Do you wanna be called African-American? Do you wanna be called black? Do you wanna be called Afro-American? I'm married to a guy who's a Latino. Don't call him Latinx. It doesn't mean a thing to him. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it. He's okay with Hispanic. He's okay with Latino. And he's okay with just Jerry Gonzalez. But don't be calling him Latinx. Like, so there's a lot to figure out. Can you say that louder for the people in the back? In the people in the back.
0: (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. But yes, (laughs) quite well taken.
1: Discover how people want to be addressed. That's one way. And then, of course, we have a you know issue around pronouns now. Do people prefer they, he, she? There's you know sort of a lot to manage. But be open to the conversation instead of put off by it. And just you know be willing to flex. Be willing to be like that tree in the breeze and just flex with how things are changing. But also, you know, if somebody's very um, um, feeling oriented, chances are they'd really appreciate it if you're feeling oriented with them somebody's direct and to the point, they're going to be really okay with you being direct and to the point. That's platinum rule. We go into that in great depth in creating a culture of renewal, but embrace the golden rule and expand to include the platinum rule. That's one way of loving our neighbors as ourselves. So that's one thing. And that really helps reduce polarization because then you don't have to say, well, I don't believe in trans or I don't believe in, you know, whatever. Forget about what you believe or don't believe, understand or don't understand, just accept the world is changing around you. Can you flex with that? But the second thing I want to say, and I really discovered this when I did the research um, for forging a new path, is that the spiritual but not religious movement is not new. (laughs) Now, I personally thought that that was like a function of the seventies or the eighties. Oh, people got spiritual, but not religious. I know it comes out of the whole world of 12 step alcoholics anonymous in which, you know, that distinction was first made in a wide cultural basis that you could be spiritual and draw spirituality. God, as you understand God without being religious. I think that's had a very, very big impact on the church as we've watched people quietly leave the pews um, over the last five decades. And these are the people, you know, they leave their pie plate behind the potluck. And then, you know, one day you look in the cabinet there and there's all the pie plates and they've got initials underneath. And you think who's PJ, you know, like who is, you know, JMS, like you can't even remember who these people were. They're the people that came to the potluck and never came back and got their plate. They're the people who quietly exit the pews. No big fight. It just wasn't church wasn't for them anymore. Well, the spiritual but we're not religious movement is at least as old as the Reformation. That's what I discovered. Um, When the church began to fall apart during the bubonic plague, people were really bereft because they depended upon the church at that time, the Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church. They depended upon the church for salvation, for absolution, for uh, mediating the relationship with God. And they thought that uh, clergy would certainly survive the bubonic plague. They were the ones doing the will of God, and if if this plague was from God, and if the clergy couldn't survive, well, who could survive? Well, the clergy didn't survive. They died as fast as everybody else, if not faster, because they were on the front lines of care. The lay people then had to figure out, well, now what do we do? There's no church. The church structure has fallen apart. What? do we do? How do we save our souls? How do we connect with God? And that's really where I can pinpoint the spiritual but not religious movement beginning because people had to discover new ways of connecting God outside of the structures of the church. The Reformation is uh, uh, one big result that came out of that, but there were other laity-led movements Um, during that time. Now, there was the requisite blaming of the Jews that seems to happen in times like this. I'm born and raised Jewish. I'm very sensitive to that. Uh, And that was historically present during that time, just like during this pandemic, uh, you know, there was sort of the requisite blaming of the Chinese, Um, the Asians,
0: right? Asian, Asian community. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In many ways. Yes.
0: Yeah. So
1: Focusing on spirituality, like, let's pay attention to what the spiritual but not religious have been telling us, which is they want more spirituality. And that's a message that has been coming for centuries. I think in the church, we can respond to that and need to respond to that. Not by trying to get them back, but by us becoming more tuned into our own spiritual connection with God. So
0: for those of you who are just joining the conversation, uh, I'm speaking with Rebecca Simon Peter, and we're talking about her fabulous book, Forging a New Path. Um, Rebecca, I'm going to ask that you, um, why don't we stop now and tell us, tell our audience where we can purchase the book. Yeah, thank you very much. So
1: the book is called Forging a New Path. Oh, I happen to have a copy right here. If you can say it. If you can say it for the people who I will. Yeah. Okay. Forging a new path, moving the church forward in a post-pandemic world. It's published by Market Square Publishers. You can get it from their website. You can also get it at Amazon.com and other places where books are sold. Excellent. Um, so you're speaking to, you know, there
0: there are over 260 people on the phone. I'm guessing the majority of them are women. What advice do you have for, for women? Like, what do you think women should be doing in this moment?
1: Yeah. This is your time, women. (laughs) This is our time because women are classically good at community. We're just classically good at that, right? Not every single woman, right? But we tend to be really good at community. We tend to be good at collaboration. We tend to be good at connecting. We tend to be good at um, drawing people in. And this is our time because that is what the church needs right now. It needs your energy it needs your energy to draw people in, to see folks on the margin. Um, This is the time to to go deep and to go within. Also, classically, women are more in tune with feelings and with higher consciousness. Again, this is our time. Um, Because that's what's needed. When we're talking about deepening our spirituality, when we're talking about deepening spiritual community, when we're talking about deepening spiritual vision, hello, that's us. So that's what I want to say is this is your time. Also, when it when it comes to noticing who's left out, who's not at the table, who's not being addressed, who's being sidelined, who's being um, excluded, do your fabulous sister thing. Notice that, draw people in. You don't have to get everybody around you to change. Just do the work of drawing those people. And sometimes structures are very slow to respond. So yeah, let's deal with structures, but also go right ahead and do the work of drawing people in, creating community, including children, wherever possible, and teens. Um, You know, these are some of the folks that have been hardest hit. Uh, by the pandemic. And I'd say, in some ways, women have been the most resilient because we just are. <laughs> we just are because we have that natural, um, ought, many of us have that tendency to connect, to collaborate, yeah, to create space, exactly. And so I would say, do your thing. Um, the church needs you now more than ever, and the particular gifts and graces that you bring.
0: Thank you so much. You know, our our audience, um, we we love scripture. I saw that someone put in the chat feature that uh, understanding and reading the scripture is our personal responsibility. When you were working on your latest book, were there any scriptures that encourage you or that you um, turned to that were anchors for you? And if so, can you share with us what those were?
1: I would love to. Yeah, really Ezekiel. I have to say that my thoughts turned to Ezekiel almost right away because I thought, Oh, I looked around the world. I thought, can these bones live? You know, can these bones live? I mean, from the pandemic to the the murders of African-American folks to the insert, can these bones live? You know, the war in Ukraine. Oh my gosh. Can these bones live? And, you know, I discovered so, something so great about Ezekiel when he, he lived about um, 600 years before the time of Christ. And, um, he was a, he was a priest. He was a temple priest when he went, was sent into exile to Babylon with, you know, his Jewish community. He was a temple priest. He was five years into it. He was a newbie, you know, and he was not a prophet. But it was on his journey in Babylonia that God began to give him visions. And he literally turned from a priest into a prophet, not because he asked for it. I'm sure there were people saying to him, Ezekiel, you know, Father Ezekiel, you know, when's this going to be over? And he'd be like, I don't know, you know, just like we are. I don't know. But uh, God began to give him visions. And this vision is one of the most powerful ones, this valley of dry bones. And I did a lot of work on understanding about the bones business. Like, what's that all about? And it turns out that bones, dead bones are dry. And brittle, and in fact, the scripture says very dry bones. <laughs> the scripture was not, you know, ambiguous about the quality of these bones. They were dry bones, and they were very dry bones. And um, those bones could live again. And it wasn't just sinew. It wasn't just flesh. It wasn't just muscle. It wasn't just blood. It there had to be spirit. So that passage is, I think it's chapter 38. Let me take a quick look. I'm not I always that.
0: Best. I love that. Love that. Love that.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm not always the best on like remembering exactly. Oh, what so I'm you keep start. talking and I'll pull it up. If okay. You, yeah. You so um, what I discovered is that when you think about it, like, so, so God turns to Ezekiel. And says, son of man, you know, which really is like mortal human being, can these bones live? And depending upon the translation, it could be, can these bones rise? And Ezekiel's like, I don't know, but you know, Lord. Lord says, yeah, prophesy, prophesy to these bones, these dry bones, that I will lay sinew, I will lay flesh, and, and I will ultimately breathe my spirit into it. So Ezekiel prophesies. Thank you. Ezekiel 37, one through 10. Ezekiel prophesies. And in fact, you know, there's bones you know, it's great preaching, especially in the black tradition about the bones coming together. Right. But the bones, you know, come together and sort of there's, you know, a, a figure. Right. But it's like, it's not enough yet. It's not really alive. And, and Ezekiel's like, God, like, look, it's not really alive yet. And then, as, and God says, now you prophesy, now prophesy that I'm going to breathe the breath of life, my breath into these bones. And so Ezekiel prophesies, and then the bones come from the four wind. Excuse me, the wind, the the breath comes from the four winds, breathes into these bones, and then it's like an army. It's like an army standing and rising with energy, with power, with focus, um, you know, with direction, with purpose. And can I
0: can I just say that right now I have chills? For those of you who are listening, you know, whenever you listen to this, I have chills. I mean, that is just, uh, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, but man, to talk about seeing, and and Lorna says that she has chills as well, but to talk about serving a situation when all hope feels, um, feels lost. One of our, one of our audience members says, is this book on the reading list? Um, I have shared it with, uh, with Emily Jones. I don't, I, I don't know if the reading list is already out possibly, but I've shared it. So maybe one day, but, um, I love what you're I love. I love this scripture and I love how important it was in the book because we can look around and we can just say, oh, this is bad. And then we can start to see things coming together. But you said that it didn't have spirit, you know, Mm
1: -hmm. and so,
0: um, man, just very, very impactful.
1: Yeah. And that's why I say spirituality is so important in the church right now, because if you think about it, like the skin and the bones and the tendons and the flesh, like you can relate to that to the church. OK, we've got worship and we've got a mission, you know, and the tendons kind of connect the people to the mission and the building. But, you know, and I know if there's no spirit, and I bet that's why you like that AME church. If there's no spirit, so what? So what? There's worship. So what? There's a building. So what? There's people. If there's no spirit, there's not much that's going to happen that really changes the world. And so that's why I say this spirituality is so important. It's what made the difference between those dry bones and those live bones, the spirit.
0: So thank you so much. Um, So since you mentioned the AME church, I I do need to give a shout out for my church. I belong to Vineyard Columbus. It's not a part of the AME circle, but I'm in a Bible study with the AME church. So I I love both of them. And I just feel that I need to say that. Um, (laughs) I love this. So, you know, we, uh, we are wrapping a little bit early, uh, but I do want to just read this scripture Rebecca shared and I also want you to know if you're if you're tuning in a little bit late that we've been talking to Rebecca Simon Peter, you can find her just Google her name Rebecca Simon Peter she has a wonderful book called forging a new path. It's available um, everywhere so I'm going to I want to read a scripture and then um, I, I'm going to turn it back over to you to just say something about the difference. Actually, I'll turn it back over to you before I read the scripture. What's the difference between spirituality and religion? Mm. You know, I ask people, oh, do you go to church? And I have heard people say, um, I'm spiritual, not religious. So, you know, what what's the difference, Rebecca?
1: Yeah, such a great question. And I write about this in the book a lot. I've got a great quote in there from a book called Spirituality for Dummies. So it's just basic spirituality. What it says is that within each and every one of us is a light, a divine light. And that light cannot be put out. That light is there for every human being. And I think spirituality is not only the presence of that light within us, I think it's the quality the humility, the openness, the curiosity that's necessary to actually encounter that light. So it's both a way of being and a quality of, of inner divinity, of light within us. And you know, there's a phrase "Namaste," which comes from you know, sort of the yoga community. But you know, may the God within me meet the God within you. And Christians have adopted that: may the Christ within me meet the Christ within you. Well, spirituality says it's in there, baby. <laughs> it's that light, and you can see it in somebody's smile. And Jesus said, "I am the light of the world." He also said, "You are the light of the world." So this this is what I understand as our soul, as our inner divinity, and spirituality is a powerful. Practice. In fact, when I lead workshops with people, we do the practices of ask people to place their hand on their heart, and to notice their breath, because that breath in the Hebrew and the Greek, ruach and pneuma, has three word three meanings. It's breath wind, and spirit, both Hebrew and Greek, breath, wind, and spirit. So that breath within us, that is the spirit. People wonder, well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Are you breathing? (laughs) You know, you do have the spirit within you. So I think it's just part of our human makeup is that we have the spirit within us. We have that divine light within us. And that spirituality is recognizing that and connecting to it.
0: Wow, absolutely amazing. Um I know that you know you have another engagement but would you be willing to come back on the podcast? Oh, some- yes. Great. 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 Love We'd love to have you. Um so I just want to read for our audience these uh these 10 verses and this is coming again from Ezekiel the 37th chapter the 1st through the 10th verse. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. Mm -hmm. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, Mm -hmm. and the bones came together bone by bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared upon them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. As we wrap, I would ask that you think about and you survey not just the the condition of the world, but the condition of your life and your family and to pray and to seek God about where you should prophesy and tell these bones to come back Mm -hmm. and where and that you might have wisdom to know what to let go of. Uh, With that being said, I would love for us to end today's session with just a prayer. And Rebecca, I'm asked, I'm wondering if you would just um, just pray for us as we, as we leave.
1: Yes. Thank you. Oh, gracious God, giver of every good and perfect gift, source of breath, source of life. Thank you, my God, for these, my sisters, and for these powerful women of faith, united in faith. Bless us, we pray, and prophesy over us that we, dry bones, very dry bones, semi-dry bones, might rise filled with your breath to do your good and gracious work. In Jesus' name we pray.